Hi, everyone. Pastor Galen, lead pastor at Shine Hills Church. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. We hope that these podcasts will be a real encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. You can also connect with Cheyenne Hills at CheyenneHills.org. Hope you enjoy the program. We are across the street and around the world. Cheyenne Hills. Okay, so you guys, if I had to ask you this question, what is utopia for you? When you think of utopia, what does it look like? <laughs> I love the fact that you you brought that up because you know Greek better than I do, but utopos, it means literally no place. <laughs> so what does no place look like? For right, you? right, yeah, right. There's no such thing as this right, utopia. Right. Right. But I, I know what you're getting at. You know, if you could go, so I used to think when I was a kid that utopia was somewhere much like Barnes and Nobles where there was coffee on the one hand and a room full of books. That on the is other. my wife's <laughs> same. She would just say same. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's, that's not necessarily my utopia, but, um, I think mind does not include wind for oh, one yes. thing. Yeah. If it was, mm. if it was, that would be one of my things for utopia. What's, what's utopia look for Oh you? yeah. I was thinking about that too. Just like 75 degrees, maybe yeah. not too well, hot. 70 is perfect. Yeah. 70 yeah, is 70. pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm not like a huge outdoor person, but I, I think just sometimes being in nature and, and, but when it's peaceful like that, that would have to be a, a huge piece of it. Oh, yeah. Well, one of the things that, that drives this home to a, to a hard place, and we, I, I said we're going to revisit this because there are a lot of people that are, have bought in. Now, I don't know. This is a question I have. I don't know if they consciously have bought into it or if they're just practically buying into it, but bought into this idea of utopia mm-hmm. that's actually laid out by Marx. And you, you mentioned this last time we, that we were together and um, that Marx, his idea was to basically crush or demolish anything of structure, tradition, family values, core values, the family in particular, right? And then his utopia was this painted picture of, of, of what? What did, what did Marx's utopia look like, do you think? So, so Marx made the statement, and I, I, I find it very interesting that when he described a utopia, it was a place where one could, um, it, where there was no property. Interestingly, to get to utopia, he was... Was that w- one of his first tenants is no property? Right, exactly. Wow. And so people were evenly distributed everywhere. So essentially all property was taken away okay. and redistributed. But secondly, then people were then removed from various places and essentially forced to move to a place where they potentially didn't want to go. And so you look at the totalitarianism necessary to drive people into his utopia and you realize it is no utopia. Yeah. It's a dangerous, dangerous world. And that's the thing about communism. It is well proven and it's failed every time, every time in every scenario. And people will point toward Scandinavia and say, well, look at socialism there. But that at best is kind of social democracy. Yeah. That is not a socialist nation. It still has a basis of democracy underneath it. So even that is a false statement. But but you look at this utopia he described. It's a place where it is like attaining heaven on earth. But Gail and I, I find it interesting that each person desires or has a place, uh, a utopia in their mind. I mean, mm-hmm. I have these fond memories of when I was a kid, uh, very, very young in Longview, Texas, where we had... Uh, a place surrounded by uh, the Big Piney National Woods and and uh, where we had our horse and chickens and rabbits and everything else. And, and we'd go out and play in the woods. And I remember it being a place that is very idyllic in my head. Okay. But the reason why it was idyllic is someone else was carrying the burden. Oh, yeah. Right. And so you, you talk about... Someone's utopia. paying the bills, right. Right. Exactly. But 
but Galen, here's, here's an idea, and I'd love to toss this your direction and just ask you the question. Why do we yearn for a utopia? Yeah. I, I would contend, just real quick, but I would contend we were made for a utopia. Yeah. It was called the Garden of Eden. For sure. And we long for a utopia known as heaven, I've, but the communist can't achieve, doesn't believe in either of those. Oh, that's interesting. Be, before I answer that question, I want to ask you a question. That, yeah. Jesus did that. I'm going to have to do a few. <laughs> so, so this communi- you know, this communist utopia. When, when the only place I think of is, you know, certainly Russia, but that was, but even now, communist China. When people look at that, they can't think that that's that's utopia. I mean, mm-hmm. certainly, I, I mean, I don't know. Is that a true communist picture uh, today? Would you say? Well, that's a good question. I. Uh, because they do have some capitalistic ideals, right. especially when it comes to business. But they, why does it still have this communist tag approach to I, attached to it? I think it's because communism has never achieved the actual vision of communism. For instance, the USSR was the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. Right. So in the communist scheme, according to the Communist Manifesto, socialism is the last step before communism. Right. It was a last but necessary step. And so even as Lenin... And, and Trotsky and those others developed that out, they only recognized that they achieved socialism. And so socialism is the step before communism when essentially they can supposedly do away with all of those structures and you could just, every man lives in perfect peace. So, and I don't think that's ever been attained, right? So the, the thing that they're chasing something that's really unattainable, right? Right. So to answer your question, I, I really do agree with you. I've often said that I think the reason we desire, we just love green. I think it's just people from Wyoming. We, we love green. We love dirt. We love planting stuff. We like flowers. We love the, the beauty of, of what we can uh, grow and whether it's the grass of the field or whether it's the, gardens that we have or the trees or the, the grass in your yard or whatever it may be. Um, we, I think we are designed for that. And mm-hmm. that, I think way down deep in our nature somewhere, we have this garden utopia mm-hmm. embedded into our soul. I think yeah. so. Um, and yeah. uh, and we, we are trying to achieve that, trying to recreate it and try to be creative to have yards and lawns and waterfalls and rocks and mm-hmm. shrubs and things that all kind of tie. I think there's something That's in good. us that, yeah. that really desires that, that uh, green or that garden, but we live in a ghetto. And so it's, it's like um, we live in this outer, you know, this place that's, that's not that garden. Right. And uh, it's hard and we continue to strive for it. But now the Christian deals with that by saying, I know that someday that, that there is this, there is heaven. Right. And, and I don't know, you know, it talks about streets of gold. It's kind of vague, but whatever it is, it's going to be perfect. It's going to mm-hmm. be perfect because Christ is there. Right. Now we have this, yeah. we have this picture in our minds now, but, but when you're trying to create heaven on earth and it's just unattainable and I don't care what politician says it is possible, but here's my question. Do you think some of these politicians that are pushing forward toward more of a socialistic uh, existence and maybe, do you think in their minds are saying what we're really wanting is this communist utopia? And do you think they consciously are aware of that and trying to take Marxist uh, principles and put them into action? Or do you think it's just, it just naturally happens because they, I don't know. It's a, I'm struggling with that. Do no, they really want that? I, I think that's a good question. I, I don't think the average person probably thinks that deeply about it. Even okay. people that are, are voting on things. 
I think, and you came back to something is interesting because when we talk about the desire for the garden, most people desire a garden without God. Yep. Oh, man, yeah. And so as a result of that, the, the garden without God is a place then that man has to create in his own image. And yeah. if we're very honest as we look into the mirror, that who we are is fallen. We're broken. Yep. And so we will never attain the garden based in our, in our own self because that garden then would also be broken and fallen. And so every time people attain to um, a utopia while trying to build that utopia in their own image, it is going to fall. It's going to fail. And I think part of that is because in the end, the very lies that Satan put out there for, for Eve is very evident in 1 John where it talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He told Eve, he said, you know, look at that fruit. It looks good. To eat, so he appealed to her lust of the eyes. Right, he said it's going to taste good. It is good for food. It, he appealed to her lust of the flesh. Right, he then talked about how she would become as a god um, that appeals to the pride of life. Yep. You look at all of those things. Satan's lies are still the same. It's the same today as it was way back. Well, then. and and the the part of this very similar, and it's hard to discern. Is there's there's some truth in it, mm-hmm. right? It does appeal. It does appeal. It does satisfy mm-hmm. the the flesh, or I'll say satisfy, but it does is appealing to the flesh. But and even it's true that you'll be like God. So that that statement is true, but you kind of forget the whole part of the yeah, it's disobedience and is going to. In, in, introduce this whole fall mm-hmm. idea as well. Mm-hmm. So he, he leaves out a whole bunch of stuff and, and we right. tend to ignore that just like Eve did. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, we, we're going to push through and, and go for the promises even though, or go for the perks. Right. And, uh, right. cause the promise, I believe that's, that's the ultimately that's heaven. Yeah. Uh, the perks here and trying to create, you know, I had a professor that said, man has a steadfast determination to make life work and still remain independent of God. And that's what we do that's when good. we try to create our own utopia. And it's like, I don't. It's not attainable. And yet we have politicians, we have people that are trying to say utopia is possible here and now. Right. And uh, it's like, no, that we we live in the fallen world, and we make the very best of what we have. Mm-hmm. And uh, but glory, that's that's mm-hmm. the only one that can do that. That's God. Last week, you you kept uh, referring to the fact that leadership is responsibility, and that is the way I've. I really enjoy uh, speaking about the subject of leadership. Leadership is not the ability for one person to dominate another person or to assert your will is greater than another person. In reality, leadership is servant servanthood. It right. is responsibility. And many people divorce the two from one another. And I think that that has been, though, the bent of mankind in tearing down the world. It is that I want to be the leader and I want the world to conform to me and yet at the same time, doing away with all of the, the consequences of it. And you can't have uh, uh, either or. You can't, uh, you're going to suffer um, for, for that assertion of your rights. And you look at, at that appeal that if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that you will, that is what will make you as gods. Yep. Now, man and, man and woman were created in God's image. That very idea right there. We were already created in God's image. But it says there that you will eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so in asserting their right to, to lead and to know and all of those different things, they rebelled against God and asserted their rights. And I think that you really watch that destruction play out in all of Adam and Eve's children. 
That is true. Mm-hmm. That's true. And really, it plays out through all scripture. It plays out through the New Testament. It plays out in our lives. Because we're still looking for that, you know, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We want all those things. Mm-hmm. And to, to resist the world, keep don't focus on the world, Think put your mind on things above. Yeah, That's a continual struggle. You know, I read that passage the other day, and I thought, man, I need to have that pasted on the front of my mm-hmm. dash of my car. You know, right, just to... Right. Right there it is. You know, don't uh, don't desire. Focus here. Right. And it doesn't mean that this doesn't matter. I'm not saying that. But it's uh, we've got to make sure we have everything in the right perspective. Mm-hmm. We can get real bent around the axle if we don't. Mm-hmm. And that's Satan's lie. Right, exactly. So, so I want you to pick up on this. Because you were talking about this one time, about this Satan's lie that parallels the garden. You wanna, Would you unpack that real quick? Oh, it parallels uh, Jesus and his temptation? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So that right there, and... I, I reference a sermon I heard you preach four years ago, I think now, and I reference it a lot. It just so happens I'm now referencing in front of you, <laughs> but where, where you were talking about the fact that the scriptures tell us that Jesus ran the race that was set before him, looking unto Jesus, the, uh, uh, un, um, run your race. Yeah, yeah. You're supposed to run your race. Right, right. And, and Jesus ran his race looking at, uh, no, there's a cross in there. Right, right. Yeah. Looking at a cross in his lane. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Thank you very much. By the way, <laughs> I, did, I was, I do remember that. that. <laughs> I've quoted that verse and I can, you know, never forget a what's his name. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. But, but you look at that. Jesus is the perfect example of how to run it. So you go back to the right. temptation after 40 days when his body was at its human limits. Yeah, for sure. Satan shows up and begins to tempt him. And he starts off by saying, see these stones, why don't you turn that into bread? And he talks about right there, he's tempting him with the lust of the flesh. Yeah. Then he takes him to the pinnacle of the temple and he says, why don't you just um, cast yourself off here and, uh, and, you, and Jesus will, or God will pick you up right. lest you dash your foot against a stone. Okay. And he's appealing to that... Um, that idea that I'm a pretty good guy, yeah. you know, I, it, I'm special with God. Kind of pride you know? of life stuff. Right, exactly. Yep. Then he takes them and shows them all of the kingdoms of the world. Yep. And so you look at that, the first Adam failed on every one of those. Yeah. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes of the pride of life. Jesus, the second Adam, the Bible tells us, succeeded on every one of those fronts. The way we're supposed to live is an emulation of Jesus Christ. That is exactly what the word Christian means. We were first called Christian in Antioch, but in, in what it meant literally right there was we were little Christs. We mm. so wanted to emulate our, our master, right. that our Lord, that um, we were called little Christs, little messiahs, ones who are followers of the man who called himself the Messiah. Wow. So. Well, and I think, I think it's so important to what Christ did. He didn't use his own words, right? He, he used, um, well, he used God's words. What I'm saying is, you know, Eve and Adam, they basically referred to their own devices. You know, Christ referred to his word. It's, it says, the, you know, thou shalt not live on bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So my point is that when we answer back to the things that are that Satan is pulling on us, we need to have a biblical answer, not just my own con- contrived answer. Does That's that make right. sense? That's right. Because I, I think my own contrived answer is as empty as, as Eve's rationalization was. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, it looks good to eat. Wow, we like God. Wow, not bad. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, why didn't 
why didn't you tell me about this, Adam? We'll be like God. Right. Sounds like a good thing. Sounds virtuous. Right. Right. And uh, but no, it's it's wrong because it's disobedience. Yeah, that's powerful because you're right. Uh, what Adam and Eve did is they responded to the lie of Satan and shook their fist essentially in rebellion to God. And what Jesus did in every reference back to the Scripture is he actually turned in submission. Now, mind you, this is the Messiah himself turned in submission to the stated word of God. Exactly right. Every person succeeds in this life when they are willing to submit themselves to the truth of God. And that's the reason why the current rebellion of this world around us, why it, it is so uncomfortable and it's so damaging. It's because it is a rebellion against the very obvious and uh, created biological order that God laid down at the very beginning. Yep, that's it. That's amazing. That's exactly right. And we see that, you know, all the time trying to, it's trying to, you know, Satan is trying to un, undo all that all the time. So I'm going to ask you a question. It fits a, along the category of how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. You <laughs> oh know, boy, there I, you go again. I know, I know you're, I know there's really no answer for this, uh-huh. but it's like, I've always, I've always struggled with this. Why would, why is Satan so, so desirous? I mean, he, he failed with Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, the resurrection of Christ was the, you know, the cross was the ultimate blow to the head. Right. The resurrection, now we have life beyond the grave, is, you know, had to be a huge, I mean, just like, oh my gosh. I mean, he was a hugely defeated. And yet, he works every day, all the time, trying to convince everybody that his way is, that the broad way is the right way and the narrow way is the wrong way. Right. 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 So, why? What's his motive, do you think? What drives him? You know, that, that's, a, that's a great question. The scripture talks about Satan and his motives a couple of times, and, and I don't remember. The, they're both Old Testament. I think one is um, Jeremiah. It may have been Isaiah. It's a prophecy against the king of Tyre. And another one, but in, in that prophecy against the king of Tyre, he says, I know who you are. And then he talks about how uh, the, the king of Tyre, and you can see it's almost like the face of Satan flickering in and out with the king of Tyre, as though he's looking at the king of Tyre, and you can see the man who is controlling him behind the scenes. Right. And there, he makes the statement that Lucifer, uh, the son of the morning, that he made the statement, I will ascend into the heavens, I will sit upon the throne of the, uh, in the sides of the north, I will sit upon the throne of God, I will be as God. His desire is the ultimate rebellion against God. And so when you look at his motive, it seems to be he so desperately wants to be God. He, in pride, he rises up against God that he's willing to do whatever it takes to destroy God and his, and his creation. Yeah, and, that's, and it drives him in everything, I mean, from the beginning of Genesis mm-hmm. all the way till the end until he's finally bound and thrown into the, the, the bottomless pit, you know, with right. the beast and the false prophet, and Satan is bound. And, and it's, right. just a, it's an amazing story. Um, you would think, you know, I know he's read the end of the book, but he's still so zealous mm-hmm. to, to destroy, you know. It, so I have, I have this theory. I, I think the Satan's got to have a motive. This all has to make sense. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know that this is it, but it's one of them that kind of works in my head just a little bit, that <clears throat> maybe he's playing on the, the, the love of God because God is love. Mm-hmm. And if he can convince all the people that the wide way is the right way, mm-hmm. And the narrow way is the wrong way, mm-hmm. and we got all these masses of people are going to spend eternity in hell, and for for all eternity, then is he playing possibly playing on the compassion of God that says, says, okay, well, I can't, 
allow all these people to perish for eternity. I've got to give them a get out of jail free card somehow mm. and like a new, I don't know what. And, uh, I mean, it does, it goes against God's, you know, God's word says eternal, you know, so mm. I don't, I don't buy that, but maybe this is his thinking. And then God is just. And if he gives all humanity a pass, he's got to give all the demonic realm a pass as well. And mm-hmm. I don't know what, I still can't figure out what drives him, but he's so, he's so good at, and maybe, do you think it's just for this temporal to have being king of the world for the, for a day? I mean, is that what the, you I don't know, get it. You know, I would imagine that that is a possibility he could have thought until the resurrection morning. Yeah, I think so too. And so when that second Adam who took all of our sin upon himself and buried in the depths of hell. Yeah. He then rises, and I, that must have been an extremely sobering moment. So you'd have to ask, what then motivates him now? Yes. And I think, I, I don't know, if we could borrow the words of Marx. Marx absolutely thought the world of Satan. But Marx made the statement, Thus heaven I have forefooted, I know it tr- uh, full well. My soul, once true to God, is chosen for hell. Wow. If, if Satan is all like what was articulated by Marx, I think he knows where he's going. He just wants to destroy everything he possibly can on the way there. I think that's another a thing answer. Marx wrote. He said, the hellish vapors rise and fill the brain till, my, till I go mad and my heart is utterly unchanged. See the sword? The prince of darkness sold it to me. Wow. You, you sense wow. a kind of destruction, something that is wanting to overturn all that is good and right and destroy it utterly. Yeah. And I think if, if Satan really thinks along those lines now, and I don't know how he couldn't, then what he dest- uh, desires is the destruction and, and of humanity. We don't have to look too far to see just just that happening before our eyes. Mm-hmm. People are just bent on, hell-bent on destroying everything that has structure, structure of the family, mm-hmm. structure of uh, you know how to God's word or whatever. And so maybe maybe if those are the major tenets, maybe what we can do is, I mean, as a practical thing, is to strengthen our marriages, to mm-hmm. strengthen our families, to That's pour right. into our kids, to yeah. uh, spend time interceding on the behalf of our neighbor, love our neighbor. I mean, right. those are the basics right. that he says is to do. And so, you know, I don't, you know, all this we've been through all these kind of mental gymnastics, and maybe if we just stick with those basic things, that's the yeah. best we could possibly do in the midst of a. Um, I think a pretty tumultuous uh, situation that we see our, ourselves in in America. Well, we're we're again out of time, and it's so ex- extraordinary that you kind of started concluding us that way, because when we close with those famous words that uh, God told to Joshua, that we need to be strong. We do. We need to strengthen these things, but we need to do that full of courage, knowing that we're on the winning side. Yes that we serve a God who is greater in us than he who is in the world yep. is a good place oh, to be. Oh, that's a good good reminder that that's exactly where we got to spend our time thinking, you know, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Although we see what's in the world, is, it's pretty terrifying. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, wow, what is, what is happening? But greater is he that is within us. What a great reminder. Nathan, God bless you, brother. You are you're such a blessing to us all. I appreciate it. And I want to I want to punctuate what you said to be strong and very courageous. God bless you all.